Hi, I'm Junius Williams, your host on Everything's Political. And once again, we're joined by people who are going to talk to things that are not so easily discovered just by reading your daily paper. We always like to delve into those things which are least of all on the discussion treadmill. And certainly those things that uh, people don't ordinarily think about as being political. But this time, we're going to be talking about economics, which certainly is the first cousin of politics in most people's minds. The topic is called, Has Gen Z Been Scarred Forever by COVID? A discussion with the experts and young people who have their opinion as well. The expert that I have is a young lady from the Center for Economics and Policy Research, of which I am affiliated as a fellow, I'm very glad to say. She is Julie Kai. She is a policy research expert. She is uh, finishing up her PhD at University of Wisconsin at Madison. She's working on her dissertation on employment volatility or just the rapid change of employment over the years in the United States. She is there as a researcher, and that is what she did for us here today. Hi, Julie. Hi, Julius. Thanks for you? having me today, and I'm glad to be with you all today. Very good. Julie and the center is uh, situated in uh, Washington, D.C. I don't know where you are, Julie. Where are you located in these days? Are you in Madison? Yeah, actually, right now I'm teaching at Columbia um, for some social policy track students. Yeah, I'm oh. on the east side. Would, would you call yourself a techie? Not really. <laughs> All right. Yeah, but... I would say perhaps in the next few years, I'm a newcomer to Washington, D.C., yeah. But I'm not there yet. <laughs> okay. So let's jump right in. Uh, because of COVID, there is talk of a generational scarring effect on young people who are now teenagers and those in their early 20s, people in the high school age, people in college, college age. What do you see as a researcher? at the center. I'm particularly interested in talking about the job market. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm so happy to be with you all today to talk about this very important and crucial topic, right? And my colleagues at CIPAR and I did a job report back to 2020, excuse me, back to uh, July 2020, talking about how their job market looks like for young adults who age between 16 to 29. And what we found at that point is that in the first half of the pandemic, the unemployment rate was really high for people aged between 16 to 19. That's about 24%. And now in the past several months, I should say in the past half year, that number went down to about 14%, but, but that's still about 
two percentage point higher than the pre-pandemic level. And when we get to the college age student who age about 20, uh, who age between 20 to 24, we did see about eight percentage point lower in terms of their unemployment rate in the past several months. But that's still about seven percentage point higher compared to the pre-pandemic level. So does does that mean that we're coming out of unemployment uh, for that age group, or uh, was there ever really a big knock on employment for that age group last year? Yeah, that's really high last year when we saw the historic high number at that point. But we did see some bounce back in terms of the economy in the past several months, I should say past half year. But uh, put that in context, we're still losing about 300,000 fewer jobs for years who are aged between 22 and 24. Um, uh, in, your, in your study, has that had any kind of, of a negative social consequence on that age group? Yeah, certainly. There's a lot of long-term or short-term consequences for this young group of people. So for instance, when we think about long-term trajectory in terms of their labor market earnings, that could kind of have a scarring impact for this group of people, right? As an economist, we like to talk about scarring impact or generational scarring of young people who are now teenagers and enter or into their early 20s. You know, some some of the stuff would happen in terms of like the propensity of their future unemployment spells or the reduction of their subsequent wages as a result of this unemployment or when they just enter the labor market. So you're saying that the Gen Z people might be looking at lower wages uh, and have to catch up faster if they want to end up with a nice retirement package? Well, you know, we all need to start from somewhere, but when we talk about the generational scarring, you know, it, we just really need to think about the probability of their future or subsequent wages. Because when they start from here, they might kind of start looking for a job in the next one year or two. But what type of job out there is a problem and, you know, with some policy that's coming up in the next few years, that hopefully that could cre- create some, you know, healthy job with more predictable tenure or scheduling with some benefits. And it really depends on what kind of job that we are creating in the next few years. I read in the New York Times, and it's been talked about on the radio, on the television, that uh, actually we're headed for a boom economy. So you're saying that that's not so for young people? Yes. I would say, you know, it's still... But I'm glad we are here to talk about this kind of issue. But when one is presented with unemployment rate or labor market statistic, you know, any kind of information related to that, it's always the tendencies to think about this measure as it relates to adults. Right, right. Much less consideration has been paid for this young 
or youth population. But this is worrisome because we ought to think more about that to invest in this generation because we cannot afford to lose this generation. Well, I'm going to hear what our two young contributors have to say. First, we have Sarah Shortino. She's a senior at the University of Vermont. She comes from Long Island, New York. She's uh, majoring in environmental studies. Her passion was sparked upon learning about the nature of the climate crisis and how much is at stake over the next decade. She's very active in college. She's co-chair of uh, UVM Progressives, has managed multiple progressive campaigns, and is president of Organized UVM, which led the fight to get the university to divest from fossil fuels. Hello, Sarah. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. And another young man who I know a little bit better. I've known him since he was in high school as a part of the Youth Media Symposium at Rutgers, where I used to run the Abbott Leadership Institute and the YMS. His name is Kelly Primpe. He's a senior at Fairleigh Dickinson University. He was born and raised in Newark, New Jersey. During the pandemic, he's used his opportunities to kickstart his business in video and audio editing. He's currently on track to graduate with a bachelor's degree in computer science and minor in film productions from that honorable, venerable institution. How are you doing, Kelly? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me, Mr. Williams. So you hear what uh, Julie is saying about your prospects for coming in a little bit short. What do you think? I definitely understand where you're coming from, Julie. I understand that, you know, statistically worldwide or at least countrywide, there are many young people who have, you know, lost opportunities to gain employment and have also gained opportunities. I feel as though I've seen much more people realize their self-sufficiency in a way. I've seen people firsthand understand that their skill set shouldn't be tied down to, say, a corporation or, you know, a minimum wage job. They've been able to kickstart their own businesses, kickstart their own talent, showcase it to the world. It's been, quite honestly, a massive boom in creative industries. As far as, you know, I can point to TikTok, for example. On the surface, it may seem as like, oh, it's just another social media app. But when you really dig into the surface of what TikTok has to offer, it is home to just tons and tons of designers, video editors, photographers. It's a worldwide showcase of talent that many people, not just Gen Z, and now it's on a grander stage. People are taking advantage of that to kickstart their own careers or promote their own careers. I've seen doctors and lawyers and you know surgeons, professionals guiding young people in these industries, hoping to relate to them and is also to, you know, hopefully showcase and hunt down the talent that they see. You know, it's a different world now, especially with the pandemic has accelerated that. It's no longer just submitting your resume, going to an interview, waiting to hear back. It's a 
different journey to get to where you want to be. And the pandemic accelerated that. And I think that because of that, going back to what you're saying, lots of lots of more young people are, you know, gaining jobs. They are gaining the opportunities. So I would I would say that the pandemic has helped and hurt in a couple of ways. But for Gen Z itself, they've definitely bounced back. Okay, Sarah, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think that it's definitely true that the pandemic has brought about a lot of creativity and so many people are getting involved in unconventional professions and starting businesses um, and utilizing their creative energy and free time. Um, I think that it's definitely true that a lot of people are channeling that energy into um, profit and that's great. But I guess one thing that I have noticed is that a lot of people are definitely getting employed unconventionally, but a lot of people that um, maybe were relying on jobs that were not, that aren't possible during COVID are in an unfortunate situation where, you know, they have to go into work and like essential workers are definitely putting a lot on the line. And a lot of people that don't have time to go through the effort of starting a small business or learning a craft to showcase on the internet um, are in a situation where they're forced to put themselves in harm's way. And I know that a lot of young people are coming right out of college and working at, you know, grocery stores and fast food restaurants and putting themselves in situations that they definitely did not expect. So the job market has definitely changed and that's been good for a lot of people, but for many others, it has put them in situations that they really would never want to be in because I guess some don't really have the, are not in a situation where they can experiment with these untraditional ways of making money and making a living. Well, do you think that the ability to improvise is something that perhaps needs to be taught in schools as opposed to just go out find a big company and the world is there. The world is your butterfly, so to speak. Yeah. I think that people should definitely be taught how to be self-sufficient and improvise in our system in schools. I think that it's definitely something that we are, as young people, kind of assumed to be able to go out into the world and kind of just make it and yeah, I guess the we should not I think that we definitely do need to be teaching students how to how to succeed in the world without having to without having to sell out to major corporations as some may say because yeah, a lot of people see that as the only option, but yeah, it's definitely just hard to feel a sense of agency and opportunity within the system that we're in. And I think that we, as a society, definitely need to be teaching kids and young people that it is possible um, and showing them the ways to get there because outside of school, once you graduate, um, the world can definitely be really brutal. And if you don't go to a university where you are set up for success, then it's very common that you do end up being forced to 
give your life away to these major companies and work to make minimum wage and make a CEO across the world a billionaire. So it's definitely not fair, in my opinion. So Kelly, what are you going to do with your degree? I, in, in, in my introduction to you, you uh, started your business already. Uh, is that what you're going to keep doing, working independently? Absolutely. For me, after I graduate, I will have a bachelor's in computer science and a minor certification in film production. So far, I'm aiming for software development in terms of applying my major st- course of study. But as of now, I'm thoroughly enjoying just the independence I get when creating. I enjoy video editing as well as audio editing. I do edit this podcast you're listening to right now. And it's been an incredible journey just learning on my own and just truly developing the skills needed to make this podcast an incredible success. It's very fulfilling. And I don't believe I would have gotten this sense of fulfillment and this wealth of knowledge just by getting an office job in a cubicle somewhere. You know, it's a very freeing, freeing experience being able to set my own terms and be my own individual while also you know, not just furthering my career, but also furthering development of the creative industry as a whole. Let's go back to you, Julie. What do you think about that dichotomy we have here? One is, uh, well, I don't need to re-preach the sermon. You heard them. What do you think? Yeah, I I definitely hear um, what these two young talents were just saying about, you know, the prospect of economy or the future and I'm totally with you but I feel like we kind of are in a situation where we really having two extremes so for those people who have privilege to be at school or uh, coming from a relatively affluent background you know some of them may take a gap year or use their own network to gain some work experience or by doing a paid internship or unpaid internship to get an industrial experience and perhaps go back to school when there's um, no pandemic or if the pandemic allows. But that's only a very small portion of college students or high school uh, students. On the other hand, we also see a very large group of students who might not be able to afford to pay their tuition or they might choose to defer the college enrollment or they might just have to uh, find another job to get by or help their family because some other um, business closure, so they were uh, getting laid off. So, do you think some things you think some things are getting better for some people? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and is that does that have a uh, a generally a uh, racial breakdown? Are we talking about certain colleges that are Maybe not uh, Harvard, Yale, uh, but uh, to, where folks do come in with a, with a family background and a certain set of expectations, and having gone to certain kinds of schools before that. What what does all of this have to do with uh, class and race going into college? Does COVID have a disparate impact in that respect? Yeah, I'm actually glad you brought it up. You know. Race has always plays a larger role in terms of influencing someone's prospect of future development that uh, we did see 
that black or Hispanic young adults were more likely to transit from employed to unemployed in the first half of the pandemic. And we did see the number went down a little bit in the past several months, but that's still the unemployment rate for racial ethnic minority young adults were still about seven or eight percentage point higher than the average. And yeah, so certainly they are the group of people who are more likely to attend community college. And we would say, you know, we ought to maybe invest more in community college. So a college degree do play a larger role, right, to expand some of the economic opportunity for those vulnerable students, those institutional serve. But if you invest more in uh, county colleges or community colleges, uh, what good is that going to do if overall the opportunities are just not there? You know, as more education receive as more quality labor force, so we ought to invest more in those community college for those young adults or who are coming from a relatively vulnerable background. So, you know, over a lifetime, every dollar invested in those kind of community college would just generate some net impact. Um, and, you know, we ought to think about that in the long run investment because it will pay off down the I'm interested in this uh, difference between Kelly and Sarah based on what they have said. Now, now Sarah is white and goes to school in Vermont. Kelly is black and goes to school. And where, where is uh, Fella Dickinson? What town is that in? Kelly? That would be in Madison, New Jersey. In Madison, New Jersey. Not Madison, Wisconsin, but Madison, New Jersey. Uh, Kelly seems to think and feel comfortable with what happened in COVID because he says he's going to be able to do it on his own. Uh, I get a little hesitancy from Sarah, who feels as though yeah, perhaps there was some scarring during 2020, and kids are going to come out maybe thinking that they were going to do much better. So what about that? How do you guys feel about the year 2020? Start with you this time, Sarah. Yeah, well, I think that there have been a lot of things that came out of COVID, both good and bad. It's definitely clear that a lot more efficient ways of doing things have come about. Um, we know a lot more about how germs spread and how pandemics spread, which is going to be useful in the future when pandemics are on the rise because of climate change being exacerbated. And I think that there's also a culture of mutual aid and helping one another that's been embraced in so many communities that would likely not have been as prevalent if not for this crisis that is affecting everyone in some capacity. And also, to be frank, this is kind of only the beginning of the crises that we are going to be seeing unravel in our lifetimes, with college tuition prices rising, the cost of living just getting so much higher. Not to be pessimistic, but also the climate crisis is already affecting so many around the world, and young people will continue to feel these effects. And if 
if this crisis, I guess, has made 2020 a lost year, then if we keep going at this trajectory, then 2030 and on will be when we're facing a lot more loss. So I think that there are good and bad things that have come out of it, but um, I hesitate to see it as a total loss when I know that our generation will be facing so much more. Um, and to touch on your point earlier, as a white person in Vermont, like with, you know, smaller population, lower population density, and just, you know, we are, with lower population density, we haven't been seeing as much constant spread of COVID. And also in regards to the climate crisis, we are pretty privileged in how we are going to be able to handle it. So I think that the ways in which um, we're handling this crisis or we're being affected by this crisis will largely be paralleled with future crises. So there's definitely connections there, I would say. So how does it make you feel? About the future? Mm -hmm. I am relatively, I want to say pessimistic, but I think that that's kind of in a way realistic because at the trajectory that we're on, we are going to be facing really, really detrimental climate impacts by 2030. So um, unless we change things radically, it will be super, super intense. Um, and there's no question about it. But I do think that everything that we've learned during COVID about taking care of each other and being there for each other and mutual aid will definitely help us with the plethora of crises that we will be facing into the future. How about you, Kelly? Happy, sad, affirmative, negative? What do you see is going on as a result of COVID 2020 going into the future? Yeah, so for 2020, I know I come from a place of optimism, but I can safely say that 2020 has been an incredibly difficult, rough, it's just a no good year. But as a black man living in this country, living where I live, I can't afford to have the pandemic tear me down. I'm currently a college student. I, as a first generation college student, I have to graduate. So I can't have the pandemic, you know, be the excuse that I can't graduate or be the excuse where I'm unable to do these certain things. I will say that the pandemic has definitely given me a lot to think about in terms of college and in terms of just what I have to do in order to succeed in this life. But in terms of how I feel about the future, I would still say I'm pretty optimistic. I can see that we've learned so much about the pandemic. We've learned so much about our economy, our working class, our working environments, as well as our school environments. We've learned so much about how many jobs that can be completed from home. And we've also learned how students react when they have no choice but to stay home and go to school. I know a lot of people suffer from severe anxiety when they are home, attending classes, being on camera, you know, speaking to the professor in a setting that they're not used to. You know, many people, many students, I'll speak about students for right now. Many students during the pandemic have had about a decade plus of the same schooling system, which is 
going into a building, sitting in class, and learning visually from the professor on a whiteboard or a chalkboard or something like that. Once the pandemic hit, we've had to switch gears on how we absorb information, how we learn itself. And some people were equipped for that, some people were not, but it's important that we learned where we stand as a whole in terms of how we absorb information, both in a college and a work setting. And because of that information, I feel as though we are on the track to better ourselves and better our economy with how we complete work. I feel as though as a whole, we are more understanding of each other and our situations because not everyone goes through the same things as we learn. Some people have suffered many losses and some people have gained a tremendous amount of wealth and knowledge. The important thing is that as human beings, we've gained an understanding of how we react and how we anticipate any hardship that comes our way. And I believe thanks to that, we are able to just be greater as a result. So I'm pretty optimistic for our future. What about those students who are just now coming to college? Well, have not quite entered yet. This is their senior year. Have you any contact with uh, that age group? Both of you are big time seniors now, so maybe you don't have any high school uh, contacts, but I'm sure you have somebody. What What is the impact on the freshmen who are going to be coming either to Fairleigh Dickinson or to the University of Vermont? They've, they've uh, been at home. You mentioned some of those things. They finished online. Uh, uh, there may be no, there may be no prom, you know, no graduation. Certainly, last year that that crop of seniors. Talk to me about those people. I can say that uh, from my speaking experience to those seniors, it's a mix of them feeling that they haven't earned their degree, and some that are incredibly grateful that they were lucky to get out when they could. And the first camp. I know personally some of my friends have said that the last year they spent sitting at home, not necessarily, I'm not going to expose them, but not necessarily going to class. You know, it's all online. They were much more lenient. They were much more understanding of, yeah, we're at home. It's a rough transition, so we're going to go easy. And many people finished their college careers that way. Many people have gotten their bachelor's, their master's degrees that way. And so it's this sense of, well, I've done the previous three years, but my last year ended, you know, not the way I intended, not the way I expected. So did I really finish college? Did I really earn this degree? Did I earn the ability to go out into the world? Am I ready for the world? Am I ready for whatever the world's going to be after the pandemic? And it's a very interesting dichotomy versus the other camp where it's like, they've always had a set plan in mind and they weren't going to let the pandemic stop them. Like, okay, we're at home, I still have these classes to get done. I have this work to get done. So I'm going to knock it out, get this degree, and go do what I was going to do. The two camps, they're both very interesting to me. I uh, am more sentimental towards the first group because it is an interesting dilemma of, you know, you've been taught your whole life that education is about how much you absorb and how much you retain. And what happens when you don't retain that information in a Zoom setting, what happens when you can't remember your last year because you were stuck at home or you're stuck in an environment where you couldn't exactly 
absorb knowledge that well versus sitting in a classroom. As much as we love the initial week, the initial feeling of, yeah, we don't have to go to college and we don't have to go to classes anymore. It's all online. We can chill. It then evolves into a sense of dread of like, oh my God, I realized for the past few weeks I'm not retaining anything. What am I going to do for college? What am I going to do for my life? Like, I need to know this information. So in terms of that, I would say like they're really just don't know how to feel at this point. They're really just in the same boat as us trying to figure it out and waiting to see how the world reacts. Now that it's 2021, 2020 has passed and now we're on the tail end, hopefully, fingers crossed, on the tail end of this pandemic that vaccines are rolling out and the world is slowly getting back to normal. What about you, Sarah? What do you think? You know, people who have been as I described. Yeah, yeah. My um, my sister actually graduated from high school in 2020, and I know that not. I know that going to school one day and then not coming back ever really did not leave her or her friends with the amount of closure that they would have wanted. And on the other hand, I know that my sister and her friends have seen the impacts of COVID like that may be bigger than not being able to go to senior prom. And that has taught them a lot about, I guess, just given them a lot of perspective about the issues in the world and how, you know, my sister is in Long Island, New York, and we, it's definitely a super dense area where there has been a lot of, a lot of loss due to COVID. And I think that despite the fact that it is so difficult to go back out into the world um, now that a lot of perspective has been granted to that batch of young people that got a lot taken away from them from the high school experience, but also in such an important time in their development saw so much loss and turmoil around them. So yeah, it definitely, definitely had a grave impact, but at the same time, I think kind of sets us up for coping with crises into the future because we are going to be dealing with things ourselves, but we'll also be seeing how other people are affected by things. And I think that that perspective is just really essential to not getting in your head about it or letting it get to you. Um, But that said, I mean, those issues are still so real and so important. And the the feeling of going out into the world, having never actually really feeling like you finished high school is a real feeling. And I know that my, my sister and some of her friends are feeling really bogged down and like they don't really know what to do right now because I know that in high school, a lot of times you have this idealistic view of what you'll be doing in a year or two. And then for this period of pandemic life to be that um, when you don't even have the internship experience in most situations or college experience to try and do something um, worthwhile, it can be definitely really impactful and lead you to a not, it could definitely lead young people to 
being in an unfortunate mental space, mental state, like my sister and her friends um, okay. have expressed. All right, let's go back to uh, Julie for a minute. I'm looking at the President Biden's stimulus checks. I'm not looking at one in my hand because I didn't get one. But I mean, I'm considering that as well as the proposed infrastructure initiative. Uh, is that going to have an impact on the scene that you painted earlier? Is that going to make, for example, is that going to make Sarah's sister feel a little better? Yeah, I would say. Personally, I also felt kind of optimistic about the next few years ahead because, you know, we got this full policy agendas laying out there. And especially, I'm glad you brought up the stimulus check or um, the rescue plan that has already been implemented in some way. You know, those kind of things are really good. And we did see some positive impact already. And, you know, Back in 2008 or nine, the financial crisis, if you recall, it took longer for people, especially certain subgroups, to recover. It took like uh, over five or even seven years uh, for them to recover uh, or get back to the pre-recession level. But this time, we did. why we see a strong bounce back in terms of the economy and we kind of gradually feeling that economy was gradually opening up is because we did have those kind of provision laying out here and to try to help our family cope with the financial hardship. And in terms of in terms of the young people's well being, we would say, you know, a lot of young adults might still feel kind of mentally ill at some sense because, you know, kind of a sense of loneliness. I did talk to some people uh, later, uh, late last year, and they did express that kind of situation or their experience. But I, I would say, you know, like Kelly, Kelly mentioned, you know, we ought to come up from this crisis to be better prepared because we can kind of think about that. Or I, I mean, at that time when I talked to them, I did encourage them to think about both to see this crisis or this year to 2020 as an opportunity to grow or to help each other or to really manage your time properly to try to move life forward because this is the time we ought to be all together to face. Um, yeah, I think that's it, right? But in terms of the infrastructure, uh, Julian, I, I'm glad you brought that up, but that one is still you know ongoing and it's debating, but I would say it in in the stimulus package or the rescue plan is kind of like a one time or emergency response that could really help our economy economy. But in the long run we really want to have some infrastructure initiative at the level that it needs to be. You know, in ten years or eight years down the road it will pay off and it will help those young adults move forward, especially when the time they become their, uh, entering their prime age, um, excuse me, a prime working age, I guess, um, eight years later when they enter labor market 
or when they re-enter a stronger economy, that type of infrastructure plan would really help them. And going back to what Sarah just mentioned, like climate change, because, you know, we ought to also focus a little bit about the Green New Deal or create more jobs that's healthy for young people. And as a researcher studying employment or income volatility, we just see some type of trends in terms of months to months where hours volatility or fluctuation. And that situation is really salient for younger adults. So, Sarah, what are you going to do with your degree? We know what uh, Julie is doing already, and we know what Kelly plans to do. But you are interested in climate science and the whole movement to make America great again, actually make the world great again, by saving the world. How are you going to do it? Well, I think that a lot of what we're talking about here really does definitely connect to what I want to do with my degree, which is really just tackling the climate crisis in a way that would give me the most leverage within our system as possible, because I am a believer that capitalism is one of the main drivers of the climate crisis and I've been really involved in fossil fuel divestment and pushing my university to meet their climate demands that they hadn't met. And that's definitely something that we've seen play out a lot in the um, nationally and worldwide, just, you know, major corporations and countries just not meeting their climate goals. So I think that, you know, whether that be through holding fossil fuel companies accountable, holding just corporations accountable, major governments and institutions just minimizing the effects of climate change before we get to a point where it is irreversible is my broad goal. I don't really have a specific career in mind, but I would love to help organize young people and work on political campaigns that of people that really do understand the urgency of this crisis. What kind of social investment do you want to see made in young people, Sarah? Hmm. By social investment, what what do you mean? I'm sorry. Well, I'm talking about uh, college. I'm talking about uh, tuitions. I'm talking about uh, psychological kind of support. I'm talking about things that make you feel better, but also things that will put some uh, meat and potatoes on your put on your table. Uh, what what kind of social investment should be made by this country? I definitely think that college should be free, and that all public institutions should be made free, and that um, college debt should be forgiven. I think that's probably. One of the one of the main things for sure that young people are worried about right now, and I know a lot of folks that I speak to say, well, my generation had to pay student loans. Why should your generation have their loans forgiven? And my response to that would be, well, since the 80s, college tuition has inflated by like multiple times over. So 
Yeah, I think that that's a really big one because in a society where we need a college degree to make a difference, but we need money in order to get a college degree, then, um, yeah, I mean, young people really do need the ability to get educated and get a diploma if this is the system that we're in, because if not, then the people in power will continue to be in power and these issues will just keep escalating, I think. So yeah, investing in edu- in education is definitely really, really important. Kelly, social investment, what? You're asking me what should the people invest in or what should I invest in socially? No, what should the government or private uh, industry invest in to make life better for Gen Z? Oh, then I 100% agree with what Sarah was saying. I believe the government should invest in free public institutions and also removing student debt. This pandemic has made us realize the value of college and what it holds to us. Some people may still hold college to a high value and others may have never stepped foot on a college campus, but are still paying college level tuition to attend courses online on Zoom. So the question then says that, well, what am I truly paying for if I'm not getting the full college experience? And it kind of opens the door and opens the veil of the importance of college education, or at the very least, paying such high amounts for it that have inflated since the 80s and hasn't been reflected in minimum wage or, you know, how we pay students out of college. I feel as though that as well as eliminating the student debt will helpfully, hopefully, sorry, hopefully help many black and brown communities who suffer from this student debt, who have had to take out many private loans, many government loans, and are still paying back to this day either through the parents sending their kids to college for in hopes of a better life or the students themselves because the parents cannot, you know, supply those loans, who can't sign those loans. So the students have to take it on themselves. It's a very unfair advantage that a lot of black and brown communities have to go through. And I feel eliminating that will put people on an equal ground in terms of out of college, not having to worry about debt and not having to worry about struggling to survive once you get that first job because then once you budget your paychecks you have to make sure how much goes into paying off your student loans how much goes into paying for your apartments that are priced way out of minimum range that are way out of livable livable wages it's a definite question the government has to answer for the government has to work for the people at this point now more than ever they have to see that going to these colleges for thousands and thousands of dollars for essentially staring at your computer screen, not even stepping on a campus, not even meeting your teachers face to face and learning their office hours where everything's just online, you know, why not go to an online school, get online certifications? Why not go to a community college for about two years? You know, like it really makes you think about the true value of these massive institutions and what they're really serving once you pay those thousands of dollars. Well, on that note, I don't think it could have been any better said from uh, all three of you. I want to thank Julie Kai. I want to thank 
Kelly Prempe. I want to thank Sarah Shortino for telling us what it's like to be young, gifted, and in America in the age of COVID. Also, I want to thank the Everything's Political podcast team, Kalina Berryman, Alexis McCoy, Frankie Walls, and Kelly Prempe. Our theme song is by my man, Anthony Ant Jackson, who's now out there in Nevada, but used to be the music director, still is the music director for Return to the Source, my wonderful musical group. I want to thank the Terrell Foundation for making a grant possible for us for us to do this, and I want to thank the sponsorship, the Center for Education Juvenile Justice. Let me also give a shout out to Seeper for making Julie possible, and for all the other folks out there who are really enjoying what we are doing with this podcast by the kinds of responses we get. And until later on, we have uh, one more in this series coming up in May, and I can tell you now who it's going to be. It's going to be Mayor Raz Baraka, Mayor of the City of Newark, to talk about his new People's Museum. So get ready for that. It's always the last Wednesday in this month. So you all keep on doing what you're doing. This is really good. and. Uh, I'm just glad to be a part of it. If you don't see me by and by, it's because I'm still struggling out here in the vineyard. And you know why? Because a black man's work is never done. Bye-bye until the next time. Thanks again. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for our amazing talk. Thank you. Like. I've truly learned like so much just from different perspectives and as well as from the experts. It's been a incredible experience being here. Thank you all. I really appreciate what Kelly and Sarah mentioned, you know, from your perspective. And I totally hear you. And I absolutely agree with, you know, making public education more accessible and affordable is crucial. Yeah, I really appreciate all of your perspectives as well. And I'm so grateful for this opportunity. Thank you. And thank you all for that post-op. Bye.